Hello and welcome to the very first Forever Blue podcast, audio podcast of the new season. Um, I hope, like me, you've had a good summer and you've had a chance to refresh, recharge your batteries and get ready for another campaign. An unusual campaign, this one, because it's going to be broken right in the middle somewhere uh, by the World Cup. Um, and that voice you heard there, um, which I'll see if I can just uh, silence for a second, is our special guest today, Les Chapman, who is the former kit man. He's a, he's a law unto himself. So, uh, so that's, that's who he is. And he'll be joining us in just a second. We've also got Adam, who Adam Waring is one of our absolute regulars, has been there right from the start of Forever Blue. And Tony, Tony Prescott, who is now a regular. Um, and has been an occasional contributor from time to time. So thank you very much to the three of you for joining me. Uh, big thanks to Howard Solicitors, who took over the sponsorship of this podcast towards the end of last season. And for them, for, to their support, I'm, I'm indebted greatly. They also, incidentally, sponsor my radio shows on Tameside Radio. I do a show called Break a Leg, which is all about musicals, and a sports show on a Friday night, which is called Sports Talk. So thanks very much to Howard Solicitors. They're based in Stockport, also in Ashton. Uh, they specialise in family law. So if you're going through a separation or having problems with access to your children or social services, then give them a call. They do much more than that, but that's one of the things that they do. 0161-872-9999. Or you can email law at howardsolicitors.com. So a big shout out to them and big thanks. Now, uh, we'll be here uh, every week. Usually we record on a Sunday evening. It really depends on when City are playing. Obviously, City played this week uh, on Saturday evening, but I've been away for a couple of days, so that's the reason why this one's slightly later. Um, but generally, we try and get a former player or uh, somebody of the stature of Les to come on and join us, to which we're very grateful. Uh, hopefully, we'll get on Les on more than once if he enjoys the experience and he agrees to come back. Um, and I'm sure that Les will have some great stories and some great input, but we have two proper down-to-earth real City fans too. Not, that's not to say that one fan's better than another. I've always been very careful to say no fan is better than any other fan, but these two are, are, are very good and eloquently spoken City fans as well. And I suppose what we've got to start with is looking back at the the opening to the season, there were two games in the United States, uh, both affected by weather. I have to admit that I didn't watch either of them. Um, they were both in the middle of the night and I don't have City Plus or whatever it was shown on. So apart from, I think I might have watched a couple of the goals on, on social media. Apart from that, I didn't watch them, but I heard a little bit about them. And then I was down at Leicester for the game against Liverpool, uh, the Community Shield, the traditional curtain raiser, and had a pretty good view of things there. And, and I thought um, City were disappointing in that game. It's, it's obvious to say because they lost the game by three goals to one. I thought Liverpool deserved to win it, to be fair. Um, and, and one of the slight worries, and I know it's early and these three will probably correct me for having any anxiety whatsoever, because Pep, I know, is a genius. And you know what? If Pep selected us four as his back four next week, if it was any other manager, I'd say, are you mad? And that's no disrespect to you, Les, by the way, because I'm sure you probably could play in that back four. But but I couldn't play in that back, back four. Um, but if Pep said, pick, pick them four, I'd go along with it. Any other manager said it, I think they'd be off the trolley, right? So that's how high esteem I have Pep in. However, he's brought in a striker, uh, a specialist striker, and it feels as if we've lost a body in midfield. And it felt a little bit like that was the difference between Liverpool and City. There may be other factors as well, you tell me. 
So, um, Les, let's start with you. And I, I assume you watched the uh, the game, you know, against uh, Liverpool. Um, so, did you watch the game against Liverpool? And what did you make of it? But I'll, I can see at the moment I muted you because you were shouting upstairs before. So you'll have to unmute yourself on this Zoom that we have. Um, I'm hoping Les, who's looking quizzically now at the screen, knows how to unmute himself. If not, while he's figuring that out, because I'm sure he'll get help, I'm going to ask Tony what he thought of it. So, Tony, what did you think of it? Um, I, I Basically, I thought that um, <clears throat> the way that we um, started in the game and basically the way that we sort of continued, I felt it was very much kind of one pace and there was a lot of... Um, times when we lost the ball which is very uncharacteristic from ourselves uh, we gave permit that we gave uh, possession away uh, again very uncharacteristic I, I just felt that we never really got going um, in terms of uh, the new additions um, in terms of um, Alvarez and Haaland I thought um, Alvarez which I'll talk about a little bit more I thought Alvarez when he came on made a difference um, and in terms of Haaland, I just felt that he was trying to play the way that he played. Um, obviously, when he was in Germany, he was making runs. We were very reluctant to put the ball in the box, basically because we're used to not having a striker of sorts there to, to throw the ball into the box. So there was a lot of sort of recycling of the ball. Um, and I thought that from Haaland's point of view, there was a few runs where if the ball was played, it, it might have resulted in something. And I think that he probably got a little bit frustrated with that as well. Um, plus as well, he wanted to make a, um, you know, a difference on his, on his sort of day, on his real debut as, as it were. Um, and I just thought he, he struggled, but then I thought the team didn't gel either. So um, that, that that's kind of what I see. Sorry for. I've seen a lot of people, Adam, suggesting that, that City were undercooked a little bit, that Liverpool had played four pre-season games, City played two that I know were weather-affected, and there were there were people saying, you know, why did they go off on this jaunt to America? I think Liverpool went to Austria. Uh, obviously, we know they go to America because they shed loads of money out of it. Let's not be stupid about it. But, you know, that, that maybe playing a more focused three or four games as a proper build-up would be better employed. Now, last season, City lost the Community Shield. They lost the opening day game at Tottenham. Didn't make any difference, really, in the grand shape of things. So are you worried about a slow start? Should City have, have played more, Adam, before they played Leicester at Leicester and did that game matter to you? My, my thoughts after the game were... Oh, I wish we'd have had a proper pre-season and played more games and stuff. But then I was reminded and then I sort of reminded myself that the same happened last season and the season before. We've had disjointed pre-seasons, I think Pep said, since his, his second season in charge. Um, and obviously on most of those seasons, we've come out on top and have, have ended the season firing. So I think we will reap the rewards of giving the lads an extra week off Um at the end of the season, when other teams might tire, that seems to be uh, the way that the club, well, I think that's the way that the club are approaching it. Uh, make sure the lads get a decent rest in summer um, so they're not you know, needing a break, particularly with the World Cup coming up at Christmas. It's going to be a jam-packed schedule, isn't it? So I think they need to make sure that they give them, they're given that rest in summer, and they have been. So fingers crossed we can get through the first few weeks of the season without any major dents. Um to, to sort of our confidence and, and to the league table. And then, you know, see how things are in uh, the start of September when we usually pick things up. 
Well, you, how many managers did you work for with? God, blind me, you've got more experience than anybody I can think of on the different sort of mentalities of managers, different attitudes to pre-season. Um, you've worked with Pep as well. So what, what's your take on, on the, the build-up to a new season and how it should work? Um, well, in the case of City, I mean, they, they obviously have to do the American tour because of the finances involved. Um, he's not one for... Actually, I spoke to Brandon, one of the kit lads, earlier on this week, and he, uh, he went to, on the American trip. And Pep, as opposed to other managers that I've experienced at City, don't, only does one training session a day in pre-season. So they only train once in America each day. Normally, when we've been on any kind of tour in any country, pre-season, it's always two training sessions a day at least. So that's different from most other managers. Um, I wouldn't put too much importance on the game against Liverpool on Saturday. It's, it's still, for me, a pre-season. Not exactly a friendly, but it's still a pre-season game. You'll see a vast difference in the team against West Ham. Uh, I've no doubt that they'll be the dominant force again this season. They've got the best squad in the country. Possibility of a... Um, the left-back position might be a bit of a problem at the moment, uh, but I think we've got cover in every other, every other position, strength in every other position. Uh, I wouldn't swap any players in the Premier League for anybody at City, really. Um, as I said, don't pay too much attention to pre... I, I call them pre-season friendlies. Anything up to the first league game for me is a pre-season friendly. Uh, the players will be fit all of them by the start of the season. And you, I just can't see any team. Liverpool, for me, are the only team in the Premier League who have ever caused City any problems. And that's because they tend to put up and put pressure on the back lads, including Edison. And it makes for City sometimes to make mistakes. And the only other downfall that I could ever find or fault with City is not scoring the millions of chances that they create. And if Haaland lives anything up to the reputation uh, that he's developed so far, he will get an abundance of chances throughout the season. I'm just hoping that he takes a big percentage of them. And if, if so, then I can't see any other team getting the better of them. I understand your confidence and I share it. Uh, are you at all worried, though, that Gabriel Jesus, uh, Oleg Zinchenko and Raheem Sterling, three players who absolutely fitted Pep's system, got it, and worked probably each one of them two or three years to get the point to the point where they were really in tune with what Pep wanted and how he operated. Those three suddenly have gone and the continuing rumours are that Bernardo Silva might go as well. Um, I, I, does that worry you at all or do you think that the, the players that have come in will just hit the ground running and, and it won't matter? Uh, it doesn't worry me too much. I, I think the loss of Bernardo Silva would be a major blow. Um, I think the replacements for um, Jesus and Sterling uh, look pretty admirable, look good at the moment, and probably in only time will tell, of course. Uh, the worry is possibly left back. Cancelo's had a brilliant season. He's a great player, but he's not particularly... Uh, I don't think left back is, is the strongest position, so... That's a slight worry. I see they're after this lad from Brighton, aren't they? I don't think that's gone through yet. If they get them, that might be the, 
final piece in the jigsaw. But I'm, if I was a City fan or heavily involved with City anymore, I wouldn't be too worried about the events of the pre-season. I was told, by the way, at the weekend by somebody at the game that Cucurella is very close to becoming a City player. Yeah. I know that no deal is actually done until it's done and it can always go wrong at the very last minute and we're hearing rumours of Chelsea getting involved as well. But I still feel instinctively from what I'm hearing that that deal will go through. So you think, Les, that get that left-back position sorted and, and City is unstoppable. That seems to be the, what you're suggesting. Yeah, that, that's probably my feelings in a nutshell. Uh, possibly might be a dark horse in the Premier League this season. Maybe Arsenal, maybe Chelsea, maybe Manchester United, who knows? But I think Liverpool, again, will be the biggest rivals because in terms of strengths of squad and exciting players and creative players and players who can score goals and magnificent defenders... Uh, I think Liverpool come the closest. Adam City have dominated midfield. That's that's what made has made City so brilliant. You know, sweeping forward, players interchangeable, slick passing around midfield. The opposition not really knowing where the threat's coming from. I've loved it. I mean, it's just it's just magnificent. It's dream football as far as I'm concerned. But yet, a lot of people have been screaming out for our finisher. And City have now got that finisher. My slight concern, and it is only a slight concern, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative here, but my slight concern is that now having a player who, at this stage anyway, and maybe Pep will change him, is a specialist finisher who, at the, in the Liverpool game, obviously I was there and it sometimes looks slightly different on TV, sat in a particular position almost all the time waiting for service to finish, therefore taking one player out of the midfield. Um, I, I can't help thinking that that is, is, is a little bit of a worry. Is that worry you? Oh, uh, because I, I ask you, me? Either, either of you can talk on that yeah, one. Go on, Adam, you say you're um, I, I don't know if it sounds arrogant or not, but I, I, don't think, I don't think it does worry me, to be honest. I have so much trust in Pep that I think he'll, he'll find a way for it to work. And although, yes... You talk about a bit of space in the middle, um, you know, was, it, we, we like packing the middle and stuff, but I think it, having a man up front will create spaces in different areas. And it's all about that, I think, in a pep system. It's about how you create space for your other players. And I think if uh, Haaland's going to be drawing defenders, well, keeping defenders in the middle, it's going to create spaces out wide um, or in those half spaces, they like to call them, for Grealish to drift in and Mares to drift in, where they've had to stay wide in previous seasons, where Grealish obviously struggled last year. So I think it provides new opportunities. And obviously, in the first couple of months, it might take a while for us to get used to creating those spaces and exploiting the opportunities that are likely to arise. Um, but I think, all in all, after a, a little bit of, a, of it bedding in, I think we'll manage to find different spaces than, than the ones we've been finding over the past few years. Well, fingers crossed, anyway. Les? I think Adam's made a good point, though. But um, will he play those two strikers in the same game? Will he play them both? I don't think there's any any weaknesses in midfield, as far as I can see. You've got Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Grealish, Mares, De Bruyne, Foden, Palmer. It's an exceptional midfield. Um, I don't think that Alvarez and Haaland will start every game. 
well, certainly not in a position both up front. Um, but yeah, I'm like, as Adam said, I've, I've every confidence in uh, in the team, in the squad. Uh, and by the time they hit West Ham, I'm sure. I can remember we, we played West Ham first game of the season when Sven came. And I think he signed about five, six or seven players in three weeks. And we went to West Ham that first game and none of us and the staff had any idea really how we would perform. I mean, we could be anything. They'd not played together hardly. They'd not even met each other hardly. It'd just been like a couple of weeks before the start of the season. And we went to West Ham the first game and we played. We were like Real Madrid at the peak. We were just amazing that day. Uh, and I think we were top at Christmas and all that season. But yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I never take any anything that happens in pre-season has any importance or any reflection on the actual season. For, for me, they're all pre-season friendlies. They're all training sessions for me. Pre-season games are training sessions, even the Charity Shield. You'll see it. You'll see probably, hopefully, the correct team selection at West Ham and uh, get the season off to a great start. So even though, I mean, I do a match day vlog, you know, which you can see on YouTube. And I was at Leicester and talked to fans before and after the game. And a couple of City fans said to me before the game, whoever wins this one, because it's City and Liverpool, get a big psychological boost. And if City had won that game, um, I'm sure everybody would have said, what a great way to put them in the place, Liverpool and all that sort of stuff. But because yeah. City lost the game, the instinct is to say it, it's only a pre-season. Now, when I was saying all that, then I could see, I can't remember which way around it was, so you'll have to tell me, but either Les was nodding and Adam was shaking his head or the other way around, which just shows you how different people have a different view of it. I mean, you were a player, Les, you were a manager, you've been in that City dressing room for decades, you know, I mean, you, blooming heck, I can't think of any more better qualified, really, to, to really nail this. Yeah, as I said before, I'll just take every pre-season game as a friendly, including the Charity Shield, and you will see a different team, a different performance, a different attitude, uh, everything different for the first game against West Ham. And I don't think that's just with with City. It's with every team that I've ever been involved with or any team ever, really, in football. It's pre-season games mean nothing. You, you can speculate. You celebrated. Can... You saw it Liverpool celebrated and, you know... Yeah, it means nothing. Have they not got a psychological advantage no, from it? Not what, not, none whatsoever. None what, you could say the opposite. You could say, well, City want revenge now when they play them next in the league. It means nothing. It means nothing. Tony and Adam, what do you say to that? Uh, I'd just like to reflect on it, and I totally agree there. I, I felt that, that it was very much a kind of a, uh, you know, a next stage in our kind of pre-season uh, movement, as it were. And there was some interesting points, I thought, in the game that I noticed there was some changes. Um, obviously, we've got this focal point with Haaland, uh, but I thought what was quite interesting, that Walker himself um, and Cancelo on the other side permanently stayed out wide, and Walker, to be to be fair, played in a more advanced position, and Bernardo actually dropped deeper, uh, which was something he's not done before. So again, I think from a midfield point of view, I think there's cover, 
um, so that we will have that extra midfield. Well, not an extra midfield as such, but we'll have cover there for going in case, obviously, the ball breaks through and so on and so on. So I can see Bernardo playing a different role this year. Um, I think the, the freeing up of, obviously, the likes of um, Sterling disappearing um, has given an option there for uh, Pep to, to either look at Foden out wide or possibly then to look at Grealish or even put Grealish more in the middle and put Foden wide. So there's an opportunity for changes there. And the other interesting thing for me is that, and sometimes you get, and Les will probably tell you this, sometimes you get a little bit of a blockage. When you've got some really good youth players coming through, there's a block there and that they're not going to get near the first team. Well, we've now moved a few sort of senior players on there. And I think that means then that we will see a few more of the uh, the likes of Palmer and so on getting more first team games at some point. Um, there's a young lad that went on the pleasing tour in America called Rico Lewis, who I've known since he was eight year old. And I really think that he's such an exciting player. Now, he might not feature in, in many games, but Pep sees a lot and thinks a lot of him as well. And I think he'll be quite an exciting player. Now, this sort of, this, these sort of players don't normally get near the first team when the, the squad's kind of heavily balanced with their more experienced players. So I think it's give, going to give an opportunity for some of these players. And we've got some really exciting players in the youth team as well and, and, and second team. On that basis, then, there's, a, there's also a suggestion that Ilkay Gundogan could move before the transfer yeah. window closes. Does that unblock in the same way, Tony? No, I think there are certain key players that I think you can afford to let go. And obviously, Pep is one of those managers that if players don't want to play for us, then he gives them an opportunity to let them go and play somewhere else as long as the deal is right for us. And we saw that with Ake. Ake didn't move purely because the deal didn't suit us. Um, so I don't see Gundogan going. If he's go if Bernardo's going to go, there's no way that he will let Gundogan go. Is it, on this Cucurella thing, which is obviously we know City are interested in him, um, again, I've seen some City fans saying, great, City are not just throwing money at this, but they could miss out on him and then might have to rethink. And, and I've always said to fans, uh, you know, any deal that you do for a player is like playing poker. I mean, essentially, you, you, you know, you bluff them, they bluff you. Oh, we don't really, we're not that, we've got other alternatives. You, you, you play that game, that's that's what it is. But Adam, as a as a City fan who's seen Cucurella play for, for Brighton and knows what potentially the failings are, do you, would you, if you were the man in charge, say, just give, just give them whatever they want, just give them the 50 million and get it done, or... Do you play? You would you carry on playing the game? I would now. Um, I would now definitely pay the fifty million. Now we know Chelsea are interested in this talk of a, a deal, even agree being agreed today uh, with Chelsea. Um, so I think that given Chelsea are knocking about and they're willing to pay fifty million, his going rate is now fifty million. Two weeks ago, when Chelsea weren't interested, then I think you can you can be haggling and Cucurella can try and force something, and then you come to an agreement around you know say forty five or something like that, and and keep some of our uh, integrity in, in the uh, in the negotiations with other people in future. But I think when Chelsea are saying, oh yeah, we'll pay fifty million for him, and they're a direct rival, if that's if that is the case, then we need to go in and say, well, Cucurella, you, you preferred to play for us, didn't you? So. You know, accept our offer, offer, and we'll go there with fifty million quid. Um, we've got to be the big boys in the transfer market for once. We have been this summer with Haaland, and I think we do need to continue to do that a little bit uh, more than we are doing um, to be the big boys like Real Madrid and Barcelona. Sometimes you've got to throw your weight around, and City are, are great at getting good deals and, and spotting players just before they hit the peak and stuff. Uh, but sometimes you've just got to pay that money, like we did with Grealish. 
Um, you know, the 100 million release clause was there. We had to pay it. That was it. We did it. Um, so I think when a position so important like left back, and we've just sold our only left back, we've struggled in that position for five or six years. You've just got to go, well, he's our main man, pay the money. Um, so yeah, I would, I would certainly be the paying the 50 million pounds, but I hear there's a few other names in the, uh, on the list for us to go for. So maybe we're not too bothered. Maybe he's not, you know, the be all and end all. And we, we do think that we can get better deals elsewhere. And if we do, then great, but we'll, we'll see how they'll turn out. But a Premier League proven left back, he's performed against Chelsea really well last year, United really well last year, from what I remember. Um, and, and he's what he's from Barcelona, you know, he knows the Barca style of play and stuff. So uh, he seemed a perfect fit, but uh, it doesn't look like it's to be now. <laughs> I mean, without breaking any confidence, this you you're in the inside of the club for, for so long. Were you that far removed in your role that you wouldn't be party to conversations and overhearing things? Or, you know, I'm not talking about this deal now, I'm talking about generally when deals are being spoken about and fans are speculating on social media. Were you always a little bit more, more on the inside and would really know what the truth was and be sort of bursting to tell somebody? Or were you never party to that sort of information? In the early days, I mean... When Joe Royal was manager, I was responsible for him signing uh, Andy Morrison uh, because I'd been, I knew him from Huddersfield and I knew he'd had a, uh, a row with the then manager at Huddersfield Town, Peter Jackson, and he'd, he'd, thrown his, he'd thrown Peter Jackson's desk on top of him in an argument in the manager's office. So I knew he was available. And Joe had a meeting with his staff, actually, all the staff, physios, Ace Hartford, Willie Donnerke, or people like that, me included. Uh, and he asked us if we knew anybody who was a leader in a team. Somebody, he was happy with the basic squad that we had, but he needed a leader, somebody who would dictate matters on the pitch. And Andy Morrison fitted that description perfectly. So I told him of his availability and he went for him and he signed him. Later days, then no, no involvement on that side whatsoever more and more so that later it went on um one so you, might not, you might not have been involved directly but did, were you hearing things when mancini was signing players or pellegrini was signing players or you know no, no. It, in some cases it's not even in the manager's hands until a later time in the proceedings you know it, it's like um people in the background are doing all the recruiting and the signings and stuff like that. And I'm sure this is the case in, in this particular one. I'm sure Pep's fully aware of everything. Uh, but on the on the Brighton lad, I mean, if, if that is the man that they want to, I know City have a policy about only offering so much for a certain player because that's what they think he's worth. But in this situation, if he is the man they want, and left-back is the position they want to fill finally for the, for the completion of the squad then pay the 50 million. If he's the man. Worry about, it's not as if they're going to worry about FFP or something, because on, certainly on this summer's dealings, they're actually in credit, aren't they, by yeah. some distance. So they could they could go and do whatever they needed to do, really, couldn't yeah. they? And on the, on the in the case of young players coming through that Tony was on about, I think you have to be incredibly exceptional to establish yourself in this team. Phil Forden has done that now, but it took him a while, and he is an exceptional talent. 
Palmer is an exceptional talent and he will probably be treated the same way. It will take him time to establish himself in the squad. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's with the talent that's in that squad, especially in those midfield positions, I forgot about Gondoan before, especially in those positions, it's very difficult for a young lad to come in through unless he is ex completely and totally brilliant it's very difficult for him to establish himself in that team. He'll play the odd game and gradually build up, build up until he has established himself. It's not an immediate thing. But as Tony said, he alluded to, there are some exceptional players in the academy. Uh, and hopefully some of them will get through into the first team and establish themselves in the first team. And imagine that. I mean five, six or seven homegrown players in that first team would be a phenomenal achievement. Um, but that would be a very, very rare achievement as well. Well, I want to talk in this podcast about the rivalry and Liverpool and when Les listed all those teams that could challenge City before. I noticed Tottenham weren't mentioned and maybe we, we talk about them a little bit first. But before we do, um, you had a reputation, Les, of being you know, sort of madcap, and then I've sort of seen you in action um, to a certain extent, perhaps not the maddest of madcap moments, but tell us something that that, that, sit, that might make City fans smile and, and surprise a few people from your antics when you're at the club and, and how all that works and lifted morale. Well, I used to do a lot of, I made a lot of videos that will never be shown. Um, when City TV first started, before actually City TV first started, we used to have some IT guys who used to make regular videos internally, and it was more for uh, sports science um, stuff like that, just to promote stuff, just to... They started to make films, and it usually involved me, were... It was for a team spirit, team spirit build-up. Um, I mean, I can't tell you some of the things that I've, I've done. It, it just, I, I, the band. Um, I'm aware of some of them, so I know you, some yeah, you can't talk about. <laughs> yeah, certain, certain characters that I used to take off uh, that's not very PC, so I, I can't really tell you about them. But it, it, it started basically, when City TV first started, I can remember... Michael Russell came over to Carrington at the training ground and he was looking to see what um, who he could interview. He was looking at the staff and the players. Uh, and then he, he told me this since he said, as soon as he started talking to me or as soon as he met me, he knew then there was a suitable candidate for making some, some stuff, some content that they really wanted to make. So that's how it all started. Um, you're probably better off uh, asking about some adventures with some of the players like Mario Balotelli or... Oh, go on, go on, tell us some of those. Well, um, Mario, for all his... He was the most unpredictable man on the planet and I liked him, I got on great with him, but he was so unpredictable. Uh, it, in the dressing room, his locker, two lockers on either side of him were empty because nobody would get changed next to him because he was scared of what he would do. 
And I used to do tours of the training ground. Peter Barnes, Asa Hartford, Tommy Booth, uh, Richard Edgel would show this group of 14 or 15 people around the stadium and then they would be transported over to Carrington and I'd show around the training ground. We'd go in the gym and the medical room and the kit room, boot room, dressing room. And the week after Mario had left, I took this party into the dressing room and I said, this is Mario's locker. Open the locker door and about 30 parking tickets fell out. I think he owed, he owed Manchester City Council thousands of pounds in, in like fines when he left. And I, I can remember him doing extra bit of training one day and he lost a diamond ear. He used to come up full of jewellery, diamond earrings, brace, necklaces, everything. All like top stuff, diamonds and stuff. And he, he'd done a bit of extra training. Lost this diamond earring on the training ground. Came into the dressing room afterwards and said, Chappie, I've, I've lost this diamond. He wasn't bothered. It was like 10 grand, this diamond earring. Would you have a look for it? So me and Brandon went outside. We're on our hands and knees looking for this diamond earring. Never found it. Well, told him I did find it. No, I never found it. And uh, but as I say, it wasn't bothered. It's just ridiculous amount of things that I could. Uh, he used to get fined. Oh, in the locker, when these parking tickets fell out, there was a wage slip, and he'd been fined by the club that month a hundred grand. He was always getting fined every month virtually for one misdemeanor or another. He used to live at one Deansgate and he used to drive his camouflage car from one Deansgate to San Carlos, the restaurant across the road, park it on double yellows and wonder why he got his car impounded 27 times. <laughs> but that's just one character of an innumerable number of characters that uh, have passed through those doors. There's been some, and obviously in the earlier days when players could get away with a lot more than they can now, there was a lot more characters in it. I've, I believe Scott Carson's quite a character out in this in this current squad, but there have been some phenomenal characters throughout the years, unbelievable characters. I heard when, when City were at Carrington, one story that um, you used to use your um let's say ex exhibitionism and 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 uh, madcap antics to raise money for charity by saying to players like mario balotelli who clearly have a little bit of spare cash uh, to to do bets on you and um is it true that you dived off the 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 roof of the uh of the carrington training complex into a paddling pool wearing sort of flippers and and snorkel and all that sort of stuff is that did I that work I didn't wear flippers or a snorkel, but I did jump off the roof into a paddling pool. And Casper Michael filmed the event. I've actually got the video of that somewhere. Casper Michael filmed the event. Unfortunately, I jumped into the paddling pool, which only had about 18 inches of water in the bottom. And uh, it was a bizarre thing, really. My feet hit the water and just shot out. And I landed on my backside in the water. And, uh, I think I, yeah, I think I had goggles on them. I might have had, I did have flip flops on. Yeah, you're right. I did have flip flops on. Yeah. Uh, Joe, ba Joey Barton was watching. Uh, another kit man called James Black, he was there as well. But Casper Michael did the filming. That, and that's, yeah, as you said, that's just one of numerous ridiculous things that uh, I did at the time. Consuming lots of um, mustard and stuff like that. That was Ben Thatcher. Ben Thatcher would get me to drink 
the most bizarre concoctions, but would demand money off the players for me to do so. Uh, it could be a glass full of mustard, tea leaves, prawn cocktail sauce, pepper. I think the worst thing I did was drink a, a three quarters of a bottle of Tabasco. Um, for which I asked the doctor beforehand what damage it could do to me, just to make sure. Uh, and the other thing was I had to snort two lines of pepper, each about a foot long, one up each nostril, and then eat a tablespoonful of pe pepper, and I couldn't sneeze or have a drink for five minutes. Wow. But I think I got a gram for that. <laughs> Well, you deserve, and, then, uh, and then Stuart Pierce saw me doing it one day and he pulled me on one side. He said, uh, that behaviour is not exam acceptable. So that was the end of that one. I was actually going to say, you know, that you played a, a vital part in, in creating this, this togetherness and, and bond between players. Whether you did it consciously or unconsciously, you were always loved by, by all the players to, you know, more probably than anybody else that's ever worked in any role like that. Is it essential that there is somebody like that? You mentioned Scott Carson. I don't know who it might be. It might be Brandon. It might be somebody else because we've seen Brandon on the, you know, behind the scenes videos. Does every club need to have something like that to, to Got to get rid of all that tension in the dressing room. Well, I, I, it certainly helps. Yeah, I think quite a lot of clubs have a certain character in the dressing room who does does daft things or funny things or something that that, that gets the players uh, going. Get get gets a better atmosphere in the dressing room. I always class my job, possibly because I've been a player in the past, but I always class my job as not just providing them with kit, not just cleaning the boots. Uh, I did a service for them. I, I, everything they requested, I would do my utmost to provide for them. I, I got dressed up as Santa Claus once and drove from where I live in Delft to Hale Barnes for Antoine Sibierski's kids on Christmas Eve. You know, I, I've been on holiday with loads of the players. And I'm not dropping them from the team. I'm not leaving them out of the team. So they get in a, you get in a position of trust you get in a position where they know you are doing the service for them. They know that you would do anything for them, and I would. And, and so you, you, you create great relationships. The unfortunate thing is in football, you make great relationships with people, and in two years, they've gone, and you never see them again for the rest of your life. I'm fortunate in some ways that I've kept in touch with quite a lot of those players. And, uh, I'm still in touch with them. And, um you still miss them. You still miss the antics that you used to get up to. Uh, there's nothing like being in a dressing room in a football club. It's the most, I miss it every day still. It's the most amazing place to be on the planet. It's amazing to me that you're not in some way still connected to the club with, with everything that you've done. I mean, I've got to ask you about Micah Richards. I'm assuming that Micah is, is somebody who was on your wavelength. Yeah, Micah had this infectious laugh about him. He was always laughing. Yeah. One of the funny things about Maker is he used to strip off in the dressing room and it looked as though he'd been painted and he never did weights. He had the most amazing physique. Great athlete. Had some unfortunate injuries, but a most amazing disposition event. One of the greatest lads in that dressing room. And there's been a lot of them, a lot of great characters and great, 
great people, not just characters, but really, really good people in those dressing rooms. Mika was a typical example of full of fun, done brilliantly on TV. And good luck to him. He deserves it. I'm going to ask you an unfair question now. I'm going to say, have you got a favourite? Because it's a bit like saying who's your favourite kid, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, I mean, there are so many. And if I mention two or three, I'll have forgotten another half a dozen that I could easily include in this, this answer. You know, Richard Dunn's and Paul Bosfelt, Michael Tarnock, Kolarov, Jekyll, Vincent Company. There are so many, really. I, I mean, I'd feel awful if I'd have left somebody out who I should include, and there are so many I could include. Well, I certainly heard one story about Paul Bosvelt that I'm not going to repeat on here, which um, which may have actually come directly or indirectly directly through you, but he was a character by the sounds of it as well. Great lad. Brilliant lad. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant lad, yeah. Great right, let's get. Thanks for that, Les. I mean, that was great to listen to, and appreciate you being so, uh, so, so honest there. And it's great. I, I, I just love you. I mean, and as I say, I can't believe that you're not still in some way connected I do the to the odd, club. I do do the odd days filming when requested by City TV, which is very few and far between now. But like the anniversary of the '99, the, uh, the anniversary of the Aguero moment, things like that, usually send for me, and 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 anything to do with ex players. Because I've got the contacts for all the ex-players, I still keep in touch with the vast majority of them. So if, if, the, if that's the case, they do sometimes get in touch with me, and I'm, I'm more than willing to help. So well, that's as I say, I miss that dressing room every day. It's nothing yeah, like it. Absolutely, I can imagine. So let's get back to the um, when I say serious stuff. I mean, you don't <laughs> have to be serious in your answers, but you know, looking ahead to the new season, let's bring the other two lads in just for a second and give Les a. Leslie's voice a, a relax. Um, with the new season coming up now, changes that have been made at City. Mane's gone from uh, Liverpool. Um, Tottenham seemed to get stronger towards the end of last season. We've seen that, obviously, two former City players have gone to Arsenal. And United have got a new coach. Um, they've brought in players. And they're making a lot of changes as well. Um, up till now, it's felt like a two-horse race for the last two or three years between City and Liverpool. Do you see it any differently this season, Tony? Let's start with you. Um, no, not too bad. I think we were so far ahead, both Liverpool and Manchester City, that, um, yes, I, I think with the signings that uh, that you just mentioned from the teams, uh, like Arsenal, like Tottenham, I think they will close the gap in terms of where they were before. Uh, but I think because we were so far ahead, it's not really going, for me, going to affect the top two. I think it will certainly affect the top six. Um, and I think there might be changes within the top four. Uh, but I, I can't see beyond uh, the top two being Liverpool and Manchester City. I think, interestingly enough, this season, I think it's really important um, that we um, keep any sort of momentum going and also you know, take everything that we possibly can from a points position because there'll be a big change, I think, obviously, once we um, break for the World Cup. Um, and, and I think it will be very interesting. And I think for teams that are behind at that point in November, I think it's a big ask for them to actually, you know, make a new start when they come back, because a lot of things can happen with players' form, with players' injuries and things like that. So I think that would be very interesting when they actually come back in December time. Adam? Yeah. I completely agree. I think being top, um, it used to be top at Christmas, but I think top 
at whenever the break is at the end or the start of November, I think it's going to be really key to, to who's going to win the title. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting considering the amount of changes that we're making in our team. I think we underestimate how difficult it is to go from players that have been playing in the system for years, even though they may be lower quality, to then players that aren't used to that system and, and bedding in. We see that players under Guardiola tend to take a year to get under their feet under the table, if you like, and, and get and get on form. Um, usually it's only one or two players, but it seems to be quite a few. Well, hopefully it'll be quite a few this year um, if we go and bring in another man. Um, so that might be difficult. But yeah, I can see the top two staying there. Uh, and the race of the top four being really, really exciting. Um, and even, well, a top six and the best of the rest sort of thing being really intriguing. But um, for us, I think, yeah, I think it's us and, us and Liverpool again. Uh, we've just got to make sure that we can really, really just bed in and, and get our new system working and quickly because you, you can't uh, afford to be leaving it until October like we did a couple of years ago in, in the COVID season. It's got to kick in straight away. Well, let me hype up the, the three that I think, I don't think United, me personally, I don't think United are going to be contenders this season, but Tottenham certainly finished last season very strongly. Um, Chelsea have uh, once again strengthened, albeit that they lost Rudiger, who I'm not saying is the greatest footballer in the world, but was a sort of leader, one of them blokes that you need at the back who um, stops the opposition at crucial moments. Uh, and Arsenal, um, Arteta has been often touted as potentially Pep's successor. Obviously, Pep went into his last season as it stands at the moment. Um, so I wonder whether writing off Spurs, who are often described as being flaky and, you know, will fall away even if they start well, um, writing them off, writing off Arsenal and Gabriel Jesus, who I, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, has hit the ground running now at Arsenal. So I wonder if he might actually prove to be you know, a brilliant signing for them. Uh, and Chelsea, who've never gone anywhere and are still going to be a threat under Tuchel. Do you, do you not see them, any of them three putting a real pressure on City? Well, if I can answer that, um, yeah, I can see those three being in competition. Uh, good point about Tottenham. I think of those three, they could be the one that could surprise and shock everybody. I think they've got a very ambitious manager, a very competent manager. Big loss for Liverpool, Mane. Big loss. God, I, I think it was, the, it was the best player. Best player by far. That's a big loss for them. So you could possibly see other challenges coming through, like your Tottenham or your Arsenal or your Chelsea. Can't see any possibility of any others coming into challenging City. But uh, having said that, I don't think there's anybody to match City. What about uh, you, Tony? No, I, I think, like, like we said, I do think that um, Conte um, has a habit of, um, when things are not going well, he, he does tend to sort of blow up a little bit. Um, <laughs> and that, I mean, he did that last year. And, you know, he, he, you know, he actually basically called his team out, didn't he? Um, you know, this is the worst team. I don't want to be involved in this, that and the other. And I think he's only ever one or two games away from being like that, as well as, you know, that, that he does in, and, and he's done in other countries and so on. So that that would be an issue. I don't think Chelsea have strengthened enough yet. I think they have lost quite a lot. You know, they more or less lost a lot of their back four. 
Um, so I think they're going to take some time um, to, to gel if they do bring in some of these extra players. And I think they're at least one or two short. From, a, from a, an attacking point of view, um, I still don't think they've replaced Lukaku, although Lukaku didn't really uh, do what he needed to do probably last year. Werner's a bit, bit like that. Um, so again, not too convinced with Chelsea unless they make a number of signings. But then again, I think they've got a gel. So uh, possibly... Um, as we said, Arsenal look the most settled team. Um, I think Jesus, again, as we've highlighted, you know they were missing a centre forward, so again that that that's helped them. But again, with Jesus, I, I just find like all strikers, they go through periods, and I wonder then if he's not scoring, where else the goals are going to come from from Arsenal? Because I do think he's he's that kind of sort of focal focal point there, um, unless there are others come around him. Um, that's a worry for me uh, in regards to that. But um, I still think they're going to be better than they were last year, but not in sort of a top two position. It feels to me as if um, the media certainly want to create this impression that everything, the be-all and end-all for City is to end this long wait for the Champions League. Actually, maybe you can give us an indication of what it's like at the club, Les. I mean, the, the club might officially sort of play it down and prioritise the Premier League. But it feels to me, looking from the outside, as if sometimes the weight of expectation on City to win the Champions League is almost weighing them down a little bit at times. Am I right in thinking that way or am I completely wrong? Well, I, I, for me, I think as far as the manager and certain officials at the club are concerned, I think the Champions League is the target. Um, and I think... If they do win the Champions League, then a lot of boxes will have been ticked as far as they're concerned. Um, it gets seems to be a bit blase now that we're thinking we'll win four out of five championships, Premier Leagues. It's it just seems to see that, that that it just seems to be that that one thing missing now is the Champions League. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people involved at the football club would love to win the Champions League. I mean, obviously, the, the bread and butter is the Premier League and everybody says that's the, that's the thing that they want to win every season, the Premier League. But there must be a real ache in, in some people's hearts that the Champions League's the one that they really want. You see, I don't see Pep as, uh, you know, Alex Ferguson or Roy Hodgson, somebody who wants to sort of work in football as a manager for as long as they possibly can. I get the feeling that Pep is a sort of coach who has certain goals and certain things that he wants to achieve, but he would be happy once he's achieved those goals to sort of have a break, maybe manage an international side for a year or two, and then then go around the golf course for a few years. I, I don't see that. I'm not saying he's not driven. Of course he's driven, massively driven, probably more driven than any other manager. But I think he's capable of one day switching that off and saying, I've done what I want to do, and now I'm going to live other parts of my life. He's got one year to go at the moment. And, and, and I don't think you can answer this, or maybe you wouldn't want to answer it, Les, but if City had won the Champions League in Porto against Chelsea... There was a bit of me thinking, I wonder if he'll go if that happens. It didn't happen. Last season, when City got to the semi-final, it looked odds on they were going to get through to the final. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know he's got a year to go, but if City were to win the league this year, 
I wonder if Pep might might then walk away. And again, we're starting this final season. I'm surprised that during the summer he hasn't signed up to a new contract. And I, I saw that he went over to Abu Dhabi at one point and was quite surprised that when he came back, there wasn't a big announcement. And at some point, you know what the media are like. I know what the media are like. I've spent a long time in my life in the media and I attend the press conferences. There are going to be questions starting to come from that press conference saying, you've only got, because it happened to Keegan when Keegan was in charge. He had a five-year contract initially. Once you get to 18 months to go, a year to go, questions were constantly, are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? And halfway through that fifth season, you remember, he went, it just got sort of too much from now. I don't think Pep would quite crack in the way that Keegan did, if you like. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, because I love Kevin Keegan, absolutely, more than you can imagine. Fantastic manager, loved him as a bloke and everything. But he did walk away. But I don't know, I'm going I'm going around in circles here, but I, I think you can see the point I'm trying to make. You know, does I, think, it, I, I think there's a possibility if they had a won the Champions League, or they do win the Champions League this season, that he will leave. Not saying that he doesn't like him. I think he's probably stayed here longer than he has anywhere else as manager. I think he loves Manchester. He loves the club. loves everything about the place. Um, but I think he's he lives, eats and breathes football. But I think he's one of those... I mean, I don't know. I don't really know him. But I'm just guessing at this, that he likes new challenges. He... He wants, he's ambitious enough to win something else, somewhere else. You know, he, if he wins the Champions League at Manchester, he's done everything at Manchester. League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, Premier League, so many times. He's achieved an amazing amount. Uh, and then, like you say, may possibly want to manage the national team. Who knows? I mean, only he knows, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um if they won the Champions League and then he decided to leave, uh, or even before. I, I just, I mean, I don't know. All I know is that he's very, very happy at Manchester. Um, and I'm sure right at the back of his, right at the forefront of his mind, he wants to win the Champions League. So there's, there could be an argument to say, as a City fan, Adam, the last thing you want City to do is to win the Champions League this season <laughs> because you want Pep to stay as long as possible. I was just thinking that. I was thinking, in an ideal world, he signs a new contract in January this year, and then we go and win the uh, go and win the Champions League in two or three seasons' time, and then he leaves on his last the last year of his uh, extension. Uh, I'm quite happy with that. Although I don't, I'm not sure my heart could take the the constant heartbreak of uh, of being knocked out of the Champions League in dramatic fashion as we've done in the last few years. But um, I, well, I, if it's going to take the Champions League for him to leave, then, you know, we'd be quite happy to say uh, goodbye if that's, if he finally gets us to that. Uh, he'll have achieved everything that he wanted to achieve at the club. He's changed football up and down the country from under fives to the highest level. Uh, I think that's his, his greatest legacy, whether it be a Champions League or not. I think it's the way he's changed football in the country for me. Tony, would you be happy if, uh, if they won the Champions League and then Pep said, that's it, job done? Just like to kind of flip it on its head, to be honest, because I think uh, what he does like doing is is actually rebuilding, and I think that's something that's maybe been, he's been um, he's been criticised for. And I think at the moment, if we look at what's happening, is that there's a players moving on. I think he's he's starting to rebuild, so that makes me think that that his job there is not done uh, from from that point of view. 
Um, I also think the club, uh, in some ways, have a replacement ready. And I think that when Pep decides to have that conversation, and I think it would be like that, that when a timing's right, uh, and I think he's very much timing, uh, that's the way he plays things. I think that will be announced, and I think he will just it will just happen like it's happened with the last couple of managers in the sense that we we kind of knew who was coming in or who we intended to get, so on and so on. So um, I don't think uh, um, he, he will leave immediately. And I do think, to be honest, that he will have probably agreed a contract. And I think when it when the time is right, he will, um, he will tell us. I'm going to finish this podcast by asking you about the West Ham game and, and your expectations for the season. But once again, thanks to Howard Solicitors, who have offices in Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in all areas of law that affect the individual. So it's like that if you need some help or guidance, then they can find somebody to help you. 0161872 or email law at howardsolicitors.com. So my three guests on this opening podcast of the new season. Remember, we record generally on Sunday evening, City Play West Ham this week on a Sunday. So we'll be recording the next edition on the Monday evening. And David Cross, I suspect that you'll remember David, Les, uh, David yeah. Cross, um, father of Kate Cross, who plays for the England cricket women's team, um, will be my guest. Um, we, Les and I were at a, a lunch at uh, Lancashire County Cricket Club not too long ago, and um, David's son was there. Um, so I hadn't seen David for a while, actually, so I got his number, and David has agreed to come on next week. Can't wait. He's, he's got a great sense of humour, dry sense of humour. In fact, have you got any stories about him, Les? Do you remember... Dave uh, Cross? Yeah. No. No, right, fair enough. <laughs> that was a nice try I've, answer, I've a million, about a million other people, but none on David Cross. And on, <laughs> on the manager front, by the way, if Pep does leave, they have approached me. Hey! <laughs> they could no, do I don't. worse. They could do worse, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I know nothing of David Cross, I'm afraid. No problem. Well, David Cross will be on the podcast next week anyway, and we'll record that on, on Monday, and, uh, all things being equal. So West Ham is the opening day of the season. Last season, um, right at the very end of the campaign, actually, uh, the Blues uh, drew 2-2. I mean, been 2-0 down and could have won, should have won maybe 3-2 in the end. Uh, so it's not been long since we've played West Ham. David Moyes is, is a manager who um, has done exceptionally well at West Ham, I think. And, and maybe, just maybe, they could be another surprise package um, for this season. So I'll leave Les to the end. Um, but Tony, first of all, give us your thoughts on the West Ham game, but also then, you know, be a bit more specific for me, if you would, about your hopes for the new season for City. Okay, I mean, in regards to the West Ham game, with it being our first game of the season, um, I think that it will be a very, very tough game. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up in a draw. Um, but um, going forward in the season, I think that he's put together a squad there, he's addressed some of the issues in terms of a striker issue. Um, and I do anticipate us to uh, go forward from there and actually win the league again. What about the Champions League? Um, I think we will go far in the Champions League. Well, go uh, far. I, is last, that's what we did last year. They're going to beat yeah, that this season. I think we will do, yes. So get to the final or win it? Uh, we will definitely get to the final and um, I can see Haaland getting the winner. OK, well, there you are. Very confident, Tony Prescott. Adam Waring. 
<laughs> I don't think I'll be that confident. Um, so short term, West Ham at the weekend. We've had. I remember we started the season at West Ham quite a few times over the past ten years, and uh, relegated at West Ham as well one year. And uh, but the the games that we played in the recent years, there the opening day of the season, they've been a lot weaker teams, and we've we've seen to batter them if I remember. Um, whipping boys on the first day, but they're definitely not that anymore. So I imagine it'd be a, a really difficult game. Uh, Depends how, you know, on the pace we are. We seem really off it, obviously, at pre-season. But as uh, Les said, that's pre-season. So, fingers crossed, we'll give me back to City of last season with a bit more defensive stability, uh, unlike the the game uh, that ended 2 all. I think at least uh, we've got some defenders that are able to play in this game. Uh, so, that'd be, that'd be quite good to have some stability. And fingers crossed, we can just uh, get a win and start the season off well. I think we will. I predict us to win that game. And then going forward, um, does depend completely on how well the team gels in the new system, uh, creating space around the new striker, um, how quickly we can get the ball to him, because uh, I know that leads to us losing the ball more often if we're trying to get it to him too quickly. So it all depends on how well the team gels, but you've just got to trust Guardiola. So you'd like to think that you know we're going to be there again uh, at the end of the season, and fingers crossed we win it. Um, if I was to put, push me to a prediction, then yeah, I'd say you know why not? I think I think we can win it again. The Champions League, I, I refuse to predict it because it's a cup competition and anything can happen. You know, you can win the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, and the Champions League, or you can win none of them and get to the final of them all. And and like Chelsea did, two finals and uh, and no goals and, and no trophies in, in two. It's completely unpredictable with it being a cup competition. You can be the best team in the world, but not always the best team in the world wins the Champions League. So I, I'll never predict that. Les, it's been an absolute honour to have you on the podcast. I hope this won't be the last one. I hope we'll get you on again very soon. I will do. Loved, loved having you on. Um, tell, tell us your thoughts then, first of all, on the West Ham game and then for the season as a whole. West Ham could be one of those teams like your Tottenham Hotspur you mentioned before. They, he's done a great job there, David Moyes. They finished strongly last season. Uh, they may, well, could possibly break into the top four. It'll be a very difficult game, the first game like the other lads have said uh, but being the best team best club team probably in the world at the moment City, uh, they will be victorious I think uh, they'll have an incredibly successful season, they are the best team in Europe, if they get the breaks and he picks the correct teams they will win the Champions League and uh, that would be the way to climax the most amazing coach with the most amazing team at our amazing club, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It's, uh, as I said, they are the best team, probably best club team in the world, certainly in Europe. Uh, and if they do win it, I hope they fully deserve to win it and they get the breaks. Uh, and the brand of football that they play is sometimes... It's exciting to watch at the very least. Uh, it's innovative. It's exciting. It's different. I just hope City, and this could be their only downfall, I just hope City this season take a bigger percentage of the chances that they create than they have done on certain seasons and certain games in the past. If they do that, they'll romp every competition they play in. They could well win all four competitions this season if correctly picking the correct squads and they get a few breaks as well and remain injury-free. 
Is Laporte uh, fit for the West Ham game? No, he's going to be out for the whole of the month of August, I understand. He's a blow. He, that is a blow. I love the Diaz-Laporte, Stones-Laporte combination, the, the left foot and the right foot centre-backs. It's a fantastic duo. It's the Vincent Companies and your Jolly and Lescott's and... Uh, I just think it's a great combination. But they've got depth in squad. If they can re- keep everybody fit, if they can keep everybody free from suspension, then they've got a phenomenal chance of winning all four competitions for me. Well, I'm a legacy fan. That's how I'm described these days. A fan who's been watching City since uh, the late 60s, early 70s. I've seen all the ups and downs. And I can't believe that we're all sitting here now and, and we're having a conversation. And all <laughs> we're talking about fine-tuning perfection. Because that's all it is, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We're watching the, the near-perfect team. It can never be perfect. But isn't it great to, to sort of sit here and have these conversations and, and love watching our team so much? The season kicks off at West Ham. I'll be down there with my camera, videoing fans again and vlogging for the new season and every week there'll be a new podcast as well. Hopefully with, with guests who can be as good as Les though. Um, I doubt many will match that. But thanks Les for being on the show. Really Pleasure, I'll do it again. Thanks very much to Adam and to Tony and uh, thanks thank to you. you for listening. And if you only remember one thing from this, if you forget everything else you've heard but you remember one thing, remember this, it's great to be a blue.